Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of this body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be untied, United, sorry, united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thank you, Jen. Uh, I just want to put some disclaimers out this morning. Uh, we're not going to cover everything about men and women this morning. Uh, this morning is not about a woman's role in the church. This morning is not about anything than a woman and a man and their role as husband and wife, and that's what I'm going to focus on this morning. But in the broader context, uh, this verse 21, which is submit to one another, so there's a word here of submission that I think we need, uh, we need to really approach carefully, but also graciously, and, uh, and I'm very keen to do this. I have to admit it's been a pretty hard week uh, of grappling uh, with this, but I think uh, that I'm at peace with where I sit with it, which hopefully comes out of the word, and, uh, and you, can, uh, you can judge me on that, I guess. So let's... Let's pray and, uh, and we'll get into it. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that as we open it now that uh, these instructions that you've given us are part of uh, the way that we are to live as holy and righteous and uh, in the light of what Christ has done for us and that is died on the cross because of his great love for us. So Father God, as we open your word now, we pray uh, that you will bless us and that you will open our eyes to truth and convict us of any sin that we may have. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we do continue uh, in Ephesians and we come to this word, submit, uh, it's probably the word uh, that is most controversial uh, in the Bible amongst our time and our generation and our culture. Uh, now, I was tempted to skip this this week. Uh, we're a couple of weeks behind because of a couple of COVID sickness scares that I had. And I thought, well, next week's Sunday, uh, December, so we should move into Christmas. Uh, so how about I just skip to the armour of God? 
But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to submit to the will of God and I'm going to preach this to you. See, this morning we're all in a state of mutual submission. You are submitting yourself by bringing yourself here. You are submitting yourself to my teaching. Uh, after I mentioned last week that I was preaching this passage today, a group of ladies come up to me and said, we're going to organise uh, a weekend away next week for all the ladies. Uh, they were joking, of course, although I don't think I can see them, but uh, they were joking. But they have full right, they have a full option, they are completely free to choose to do that if they want to. Uh, but I'm also submitting myself into your hands today. I'm submitting myself and what I teach into your judgment. I'm submitting myself in particular to the members of the church. Because if this isn't theologically correct, if they believe it's heresy or they just don't like what they hear, you can call a meeting and with 75% of people, you can ask me to leave. I am submitting this to you and under the authority of the leadership of the church. But I'm also submitting this to my wife. Two days ago, we were talking about the passage and she said, well, you know that I'm going to be listening, don't you? It is being recorded, isn't it? See, this is my wife who's theologically trained, has done a big, uh, a big project herself on this, and she's, she, she's uh, keenly uh, ready for me to submit this to her. So today as we come in mutual submission to each other, we are ultimately doing it because we are submitting to the will of Christ. So you shouldn't be here uh, simply because of my teaching and I shouldn't be here just to give you teaching. We are here to speak, to hear the Lord Jesus speak, to encourage one another and build one another up with our spiritual gifts, which we heard back in Ephesians 4, in order for the kingdom to grow and for all us to grow in unity. So in many respects, this passage is about unity. It continues to flow on so that we can build each other up in unity. So as we look at this text, we have to understand, and I want you to understand this, that we are already in relationships of submission to one another. And that's a good thing because Paul starts this passage in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Not because you revere me, not because I revere you, I revere Christ. You revere Christ, so you submit to one another. We worship him, we acknowledge his authority that was given to him over all things. But we have to understand that verse 21 also has the context, and I talked a lot about context last week. In fact, it's a continuation of the previous passage. I think one of the issues we have is that the translators have cut it off put instructions for Christian households, which is a ridiculous heading. They've, they've started a new section. We park, put the handbrake on on the car that we've just driven. We jump over to the next car and we start fresh as if this has got nothing to do with this. 
But in fact, verses 18 to verse 23 is one sentence in the original language. It's one sentence. So we cannot talk about the next couple of verses without reading verses 18 and seeing how all that flows through. Let me read those for you now. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a beautiful image of a culmination of all this teaching. If you remember back in chapter 4, it was to use our spiritual gifts to build unity in the church. And then we're told individually to put off your old self and put on the new. We talked about a wardrobe. Jesus has won your redemption, set you free from your old self, and he's given you this new wardrobe and the brand names are holiness and righteousness. Don't dig into the bottom and put your old clothes on. Start putting the new clothes on. Or the other idea is the the, the house idea. We are on the foundation of ourself or our world that's been completely dug up by Jesus himself, ripped out, and Christ has been laid as the foundation. And now the house is being built and the framework is holiness and righteousness. Everything that goes in reflects those things. And so we come to this beautiful image, of which I didn't cover last week, which says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, some churches like to think that they're Spirit-filled, as if we're not. But if you are in Christ, you are filled with the Spirit. And that outlets in holiness and righteousness. You don't get drunk on wine. You fill yourself with the Spirit. And we have this joy in our hearts. It's a beautiful image. But I want want to read a bit more of a literal translation for you of verses 18 all the way through to verses 23. Because the word submit doesn't actually um, appear in verse 22 where it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. The word submit isn't there. It's implied, but it's not there. So listen to this. It says, do not become drunk with wine, in which is debauchery, but be filled in spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, and I love this imagery, and making melodies in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things in the name of the Lord of us, Jesus Christ, to God the Father, being submissive to one another in reverence to Christ, the wives to their own husbands as to the Lord, because a husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, himself the saviour of the body. Now verse 22 to chapter 6 verse 9 is really a move in the same direction. We've been talking about the holiness and the unity in the church and then the holiness of the individual. And this is a natural progression for Paul to now be talking about the unity and the holiness in the family unit. And he covers three main relationships that were in the household of his time. Husbands and wives, parents and children, and masters 
and servants. Today we're just going to look at wives and husbands, uh, but the, the thing is, it, I want to point out that the challenge to submit and to love is not exclusive to the marriage relationship. Submission isn't exclusive to wives and love isn't exclusive to husbands. Verse 21 has already said, submit to one another. But if you remember back to last week, how did we begin in verse 1? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. My point is that we're all commanded to love one another and we're all commanded to submit to one another. So let's look at this word submit. Okay, so we're going to look at three main things of this word submit. And the first thing I want to point out that the Bible says about submission is it is a choice. Submission is a choice. Now, if you go to 1 Chronicles, and I haven't got anything today, sorry, but you could just listen up. But 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4, uh, or 1 Chronicles, uh, that it highlights the difference between uh, submit and its real opposite, or, or the other option, which is subjugation, which is an enforcement of a rule over. Now, let me just read you 1 Chronicles 24, which talks about subjugation. It says, in the course of time, and this is the time uh, where kings went out to war, war broke out with the Philistines at Giza. At that time, Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Sippai, one of the descendants of the Raphaites, and the Philistines were subjugated. See, subjugation forces a person or a nation to sit under the authority of the other one and to obey them. If they don't, it's enforced with brutality or consequences. If you think of Israel when they were slaves to Egypt, Moses goes to Pharaoh, we want to go and worship our God. Pharaoh says no, and so he puts harsh consequences. Don't provide the straw anymore for them, they've got to collect it themselves, to subjugate them, to enforce his authority upon them. See, submission does not mean living in an oppressive, abusive relationship. A person that controls you in, a way, in any way like that does not exhibit the holiness and the righteousness that we have just been talking about in the previous sections. See, if we are truly being sanctified, abuse and oppression is not part of what the Spirit is. In 1 Corinthians, it implies we can consider them pagans and we should never encourage anyone to remain in such a relationship. Well, later in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 24, uh, as King David's on the way out and King Solomon uh, has been recognised as the next king, we're told this, all the officers and warriors as well as all of King David's sons pledged their submission to King Solomon. It was an act of will. It was a pledge. It's a choice. James 4.7 says to resist the devil and submit yourselves to God. 
Romans 13.1 says to submit ourselves to the, to the ruling, the governing authorities. We've been doing that all year. Today was a nightmare because I didn't even know what the rule was about singing. And so we had to research it and try to submit ourselves as an act of choice. Now we could choose not to listen to them and we might end up in a bit of subjugation, who knows? But we are told to choose to submit. It's a choice. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 16, Paul commends leaders of the church and encourages submission to them, sacrificial devotion to them, because they have proven themselves as worthy. So if you've been forced to submit to somebody else's will, it's not submission. It's subjugation. It's oppression. And in the marriage context, it is abuse. Now back in our passage, notice Paul addresses wives to make that choice of submission. He actually says, wives, to your husbands. In fact, he says, to your own husbands. Make that choice, wives. He doesn't pull out spiritually abusive consequences. He doesn't say to the husbands, make sure your wives are submitting to you. In fact, Paul's elevating women to another standard in the culture by giving them a choice. He's bringing up a woman's choice because ultimately she doesn't serve her husband, she serves the Lord Jesus Christ. And she can choose a submissive uh, way in order to, to honour Christ. But the reason someone should submit is critical. The reason you choose to submit is not because your husband loves you in the way that you think he should love you. That's conditional. No, your commitment is because Christ loves you with the perfect love that your husband will never be able to love you with. Now, I've got several books I've brought today, and I can recommend them all to you in different ways. But in, um, in The Marriage Builder, which is by Larry Crabb, he's a psychotherapist, psychologist, uh, wonderful Christian man, I encourage you to read that, The Marriage Builder, uh, he talks about uh, this idea uh, of meeting needs. So usually we give our love or we give what we should as long as someone has met our needs. It's like this, uh, it's like this well, in, in, love, in love and respect, it talks about the crazy cycle. Okay, so it's like if you meet my needs, then I'll meet yours. But if you don't meet my needs, then I'm not going to meet your needs. And so what Larry Crabb does is he says, well, we've got four options when we want our needs met. We can either ignore our needs, which is basically uh, being a doormat, uh, we can find satisfaction in our own achievements, so we look to ourselves to satisfy our needs. We can attempt to meet the needs in each other, which is always going to be flawed. Or fourthly, we can look and depend upon the Lord to meet our needs. And this is critical as Christians. It's critical for marriages to understand this. If Ellie is looking to me to satisfy her fully for all her desires and needs... Well, you should know by now she's going to be bitterly disappointed. And I dare say that every wife that's looking to their husband to fulfil all their needs and desires is going to be bitterly disappointed. I'm talking physical, emotional, spiritual. 
Because we are fallen just as you are. And if I'm looking to Ellie to fulfill all my desires and needs, then I'm going to be bitterly disappointed, although I haven't found any problems with it yet. <clears throat> Did you hear that, darling? Yes. <laughs> but you, can you see this? And, and in love and respect, they talk about the crazy cycle. And the crazy cycle be, happens um, when I'm not... I'm not providing the love and everything that Ellie needs. Well, she reacts. And that means she's not respecting me, so I react. And you end up in this crazy cycle of looking to each other and you're not exercising what Christ has asked you to do and that is to lay down your own life, forgive and be able to be the one that puts up their hands and goes, oh, that's right, I remember I'm not perfect. See, the point here, the first point is that submission is a choice. Well, the second thing I want to point out is submission is an act of allegiance. It's an act of allegiance. When we submit, we are identifying with the one we submit to. See, notice here it says, uh, submit yourselves to your own husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife. And we will talk about that as well. See, when we submit, we're identifying with the one we're submitting to. So when we're talking about uh, submitting to one another, we're acknowledging that we are all the body of Christ and that we are under the head of Christ when we submit to him. But when we submit to our husbands, it is an acknowledgement of the fact that there are different roles in the marriage. Now, I'm going to talk about that uh, in a little while. But in Corinth, what we do know, this is Ephesians, obviously, this is Ephesus, but it was written to all the churches. But in Corinth, what we do know one of the issues was is that there was public uh, disagreements between husbands and wives. So what would happen is a husband would uh, talk about whatever theology or whatever it might be, and the, and the wife would stand up and they would argue against that. Now, what, what the, Paul is saying, the problem with that, and he says in Corinthians, uh, women should be quiet in church as a response to that, but the word for woman and the word for wife is exactly the same, and I think it should be saying wife, not woman. Anyway, that's another thing I'm not going to go to. But Paul's saying is that when, you, when you're not submitting to your husband, it brings dishonour to your husband. If you're challenging him publicly, it brings dishonour to your husband. You're disrespecting your husband. It reflects poorly on Christ. Now, I know this is a... Just bear with me, ladies. I'm talking allegiance and I'm talking headship and I'm talking uh, these things, but uh, we'll get there. So it's publicly disrespecting your husband which reflects poorly on Christ. Verse 32 says this. It says, This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. See, the marriage relationship was designed to reflect Christ's relationship with the church. If the marriage is functioning in unity then it reflects positively on how Christ relates to the church and how the church relates to Christ. It's a reflection of what we looked at back in chapter 4. 
This is about unity and professing unity in, in spirit. Now, if we are husband and wife seeking the, the, the Lord's will together as partners, and I think that's a great word for marriage, then the spirit will guide us. And if we are putting off ourselves for each other, and this is a mutual submission, then we will find that the disagreements don't need to be aired publicly. There is a place for that, and that is uh, in, the, in the family home. We can discuss these things. So when the church publicly speaks out against the, the teachings of the Bible, it can be a horrific thing for the gospel. Now, I'll give you an example. I was, I was in Perth uh, when I was ministering up in the Kimberley. We used to fly to Perth every now and again and go on holiday. We went to Rottnest Island. So it's a little island off Perth. And, uh, and they've got a little chapel there. And I remember walking in the chapel, I was a pastor, and they had this booklet to introduce you to God at the back, and I was really curious. So I, I grabbed one and I took it home and I read it through. And it basically said, you can't believe what the Bible says because God is love. There are elements of the Bible which just aren't true. They're stories of people. You don't believe them. Now this man, this minister purportedly of the gospel, was publicly declaring that he disagreed with what God had told his head as the body of Christ. He is disagreeing and publicly airing all that because he couldn't, he couldn't come to terms with the doctrine of sovereignty and the doctrine of scripture being the infallible word of God. In the same way, Paul's saying, don't bring your disagreements out to the public for all to see. It's the same as why he says in, in Corinthians, if you've got something against your brother or sister, don't take them to the courts. Go and see them first. This is why when we have disputes in the church, you go and approach your brother or sister first. You take someone else before you bring it further because it brings disrepute upon the honour of Christ. This is what he's talking about. And the, the whole idea of head here comes back to creation. And it comes back to marriage uh, in, in the Bible. I might just read the next section. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, what, what's happening here is that it's an idea of unity and reflection of glory to God. But there is a difference in roles when it comes to mar marriage. Now, this isn't all men and all women in the church. And I will debate till I die the problem with that theology. You've just got to go back to Galatians. 
In Christ there is no male or female, Jew or, or, or Greek, slave or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. But the marriage relationship is unique. It's been instigated and the way it functions is to bring the greatest glory to Christ. And there are roles. And it says the husband is the head as a reflection of Christ and the woman is the body as a reflection of the church. It doesn't devalue either of those. It doesn't say that they lack value, either of those. Both are made in the image of God. It is a different role and it is still, uh, it is still uh, bo- both still have the same value under Christ. But the way the marriage unit works has a certain, uh, has a certain hierarchy, if you like. I don't like that word. It's a different functioning a different role. Now, I just want to reinforce, it's not saying all women, all women and all men, that's for sure. Now, I just want to highlight this in an example. So this is Tim and Kathy's, Kathy Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. Okay. Um, they have an appendix at the end, uh, which is about decision-making and the role of the husband as head. And I think it's a great example And it says, assuming the role of headship is only done for the purposes of ministering to your wife and family. Now remember, this idea of headship is to lay down your life for your your body, which is what Christ did, so that your whole function is for the purposes of your wife and family to be a sacrificial love. They say, some say, in the biblical view, both husband and wife are to minister to each other unselfishly. So then what is the difference? It is clear that the son obeys his head, the father, and that we obey the head, the Christ. But how does this authority work out in the context of mutually serving persons equal in dignity and being? See, the answer is that a head can only overrule his spouse if he is sure that her choice would be destructive to her or to the family. He does not use his headship selfishly to get his own way about the colour of the car they buy, who gets to hold the remote control, and whether he has a night out with the boys or stays home to help with the kids when his wife asks. This is the area in which is the most misunderstanding on the part of both men and women Some men, unaware or unwilling to assume their servant leader roles, believe they simply being male brings entitlement with it. And women, often the victims of such mistaken understanding, want no part of any teaching that would demote them to inferior status. But in a marriage where there are only two votes as such, how can a stalemate be broken without someone having to give way? Well, in the vast majority of cases, the stalemate is broken because each will try to give the other his or her pleasure. The wife will try to respect the husband's leadership and the husband will in turn try to please his wife. If this dynamic is in place in the course of a healthy biblical marriage, overruling will be rare. But what of a case where both parties cannot agree but some kind of decision must be made? Well, someone must have the right to cast the deciding vote and take the greater responsibility for that decision. So they go on to describe when uh, Tim, was, uh, Tim was a professor and he felt a call to plant the church at Redeemer, okay? And, uh, and his wife actually didn't, wasn't, wasn't sure. He, she just, and they went through quite a process 
uh, to come to terms with this, of prayerfully and communicating. And, and in the end, uh, Tim made the call. And she reflects, uh, because of the process that they went through, because of the love he showed, um, and it's her saying this, not him, uh, that, that her and her children and their children consider this one of the, 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 the most courageous decisions that he had ever made. And if you know the ministry of Tim Keller now, it's beyond uh, any, anything that you've really seen before on many levels. Uh, it's biblical, it's solid, it's in the heart of an area and he's got a church of over 5,000 and he ministers online and people like me gain a great deal of wisdom from him. So when we talk about submission as allegiance, it's all in the context of a biblical understanding and it's in terms of the role. And hopefully that's helpful to understanding that. Well, finally, I just want to note that submission is closely related to humility. And humility is a hard place to be. Um, I ended up Googling something during the week about humility and what came up, uh, Mac Davis's song, It's Hard to Be Humble. I thought I'd just read it for you. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a wonderful man. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. Well, welcome to my life. Uh, I wake up in the morning. We only have one mirror in the house for good reason. See, while that song is meant to be funny, it certainly exposes the battle we can have in our internal life. It is hard to be humble. It is hard to submit. See, submission is an act of humility. It's bringing yourself unto the acknowledgement that Christ is the ultimate authority and that there is there is roles placed in a marriage relationship. I'm just going to read you Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, just to highlight this, and that's really all I'm going to say about it, I think. Uh, but Paul says to the Philippians, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality, equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's an act of submission. It's an act of humility. And it's an act that we should, it's a mindset that we all should have in all circumstances. And let me encourage you to do that. Now, I'm aware that I'm preaching for a long time and I'm not going to say a great deal to the husbands this morning because I think everything I've said has been to you as well because it's a mutual submission. But we need to look at love. What does he has to have to say to the husbands? Well, the call for a husband is to love his wife not based on your feelings. It is based on an expression of your commitment and your promises that you have made to your wife. You have entered into the covenant of marriage. I feel much more bold because I am a husband. You have entered into the covenant of marriage. 
And your covenant of marriage reflects the covenant and the promises that God made for you to save you from the wrath that was upon you. And that ended in the death of his own son. See, in verse 31, Paul says, he's saying, you left your father and mother to be united to your wife. You made a commitment. The two have become one flesh, and so you need to care and love for her as you do yourself. See, the correlation here is between Christ's purpose for the church and your commitment to your wife. And Paul says in verse 32, he says, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about, the Christ, about Christ and the church. You should sacrificially love your wife as Christ has loved the church. You should see her as the bride of Christ, not for your own selfish pleasures and needs, but for her nurturing in her faith, nurturing in her life under Christ, to present her to enable her to set her free to flourish and blossom into the child of God that she was called to be. You should be sacrificing yourself, everything from your finances to your time to the way that you live with your children, whatever it might be, for her. Because that's what Jesus has done for us who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. As he, lay, as, he, as he prayed in Gethsemane, in anguish, but not my will, but your will be done. Maybe you had great hopes for your life, men. Maybe you have this vision of what your life was going to be. Well, I hope you're willing to lay all that down to ensure that your wife becomes the healthy, spiritual place that God has called her to be. And if you want to know the type of woman that I know every woman would love to be, go and read Proverbs 31 for yourself. Go and read it. And then go and... It's not for you to make a plan you're not controlling her, then release her. Allow her out of the cage that you may have built for her. See, a sacrificial love means putting the needs of the other before your own. That's a really hard pill to swallow for every man. And that's why humility is at the heart of this love as it is at the heart of, uh, of submission. Now, I, have a, I had an example floating around, but there's a fella in the US, uh, a pastor, I haven't brought it with me, but he talks of being down the pub and he was having a conversation with, uh, with those several girls there and one of them said, oh, I happened to hear a sermon the other day that, uh, that said uh, that uh, there can't be two leaders in the home uh, because basically they fight against each other, so the man gets to choose everything. What do you have to say about that? 
And then he painted the picture of the type of man that the Bible gives. Let me paint you the picture that the... What, would you like a husband that sacrificed everything of himself for you? Would you like a husband to give up his finances and ensure that you are well fed and that you have every possibility to flourish in your life? Would you like someone, and I'm not talking about giving you breakfast in bed every morning, but you know, someone who's going to willingly nurture you and encourage you and, and, and commit to you, and no matter what, he's committed to you. Oh, yeah, I'd love. Where is he? Sign me up, she said. See, the Hollywood, I think, has created a picture of the perfect man. The Bible is creating pictures of our perfection. But here's the killer. While I'm telling husbands to go and do that, I can guarantee that when I get home, I fail. But I need to come to you for forgiveness. And you, you, know, you, you can't hold me to ransom on that. A woman can't hold a man to ransom on that. But in a healthy Christian marriage, if we are both working to fulfil our roles in reflection of what Christ has done for the church, then what greater, greater witness is there to a world that is so preoccupied with the physical, with the feeling, than to see a loving commitment of service to one another out of reverence for the God that they serve. I still remember walking into the first uh, Christian home. I still consider them my spiritual parents. Eventually they gave me a key to their house so that I had somewhere secure when I became a Christian. But I still remember encountering this this model and just wondering where did they get that from surely surely this is all fake <laughs> it felt fake but it wasn't because we don't need to be fake we still live in the reality of marriage don't get me wrong well, i just want you to listen finally i'm sorry i've gone for so long but page 78 i don't know why i'm telling you the page number Page 78 of, uh, of The Meaning of Marriage. One of the most widely held beliefs in our culture today is that romantic love is all important in order to have a full life, but that it almost never lasts. A second related belief is that marriage should be based on romantic love. Taken together, these convictions lead to the conclusion that marriage and romance are essentially incompatible, that it is cruel to commit people to lifelong connection after the inevitable fading of romantic joy. The biblical understanding of love does not preclude deep emotion. As we will see, a marriage devoid of passion and emotional desire for one another doesn't fulfil the biblical vision. But neither does the Bible pit romantic love against the essence of love, which is sacrificial commitment to the good of the other. If we think of love primarily as emotional desire and not as active committed service, we end up pitting duty and desire against each other in a way that is unrealistic and destructive. Well, I hope, I hope that's helpful today um, to get your head into some way. There's so much I could talk about. 
there is, we could spend hours, and maybe we should uh, one day. We'll, we'll do a marriage seminar or something. Um, I'm not making that commitment next year, but we'll do it at some point. I think it's important, whether I do it or someone else does it. But I do just want to read you 1 Corinthians 13 to finish, and then I'll pray and we'll have a song. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails but where there are prophecies they will cease. And so he goes on. It's in the context of spiritual gifts. Love in the church is central and that's reflected as love and submission in the marriage, as a humble service to one another. Well, let's pray. Father God, uh, it's been a long time of listening this morning. Uh, Father God, it's been uh, a time in our culture of grappling with this idea of submission and what that means. But Father, I pray this morning that uh, we will take home uh, these uh, biblical concepts of submission, uh, that we will be able to submit, uh, not in subjugation, but willfully. And Father God, I pray for anyone who is in a relationship where they are being oppressed or abused. I particularly pray this morning, Lord, that you give them the courage to speak to someone about that, that you give the courage to step out of that, because Father, that's not your design. And Father God, if there is abuse happening uh, from husbands or wives, we pray that you'll convict their hearts and bring an end to that and bring them to repentance and faith. But Father God, this morning I pray for the marriages in our church, the future marriages, the marriages of all Christians uh, all around the world, Lord, that we can reflect the great love that you have for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Father God, we pray that our marriages and our families will be a great reflection of who you are and the love that you have for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.